Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're here today to talk about the most amazing man. Thousands of years ago, he taught us timeless virtues and lessons, things we should never forget. Here are some of our favorites. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am! I have food you know nothing about. By your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if he hates rich people. Well, that's all today, folks. We'll see you next week for... morning. Thank you guys for being here. I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you for everyone that's joining online. Uh, today's a special day because we enter into uh, the Easter week, the, the Holy Week, the time where we genuinely celebrate um, everything that our faith is built upon, the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and who he is was solidified by what he did 2,000 years ago. We're going to celebrate that together in the coming days, just days. And so what you, you need to know is that it's an opportunity for you and me to kind of prepare our hearts and to get ready to contemplate and move in on our relationship with Jesus in a very special way, different than any other time of the year. And uh, with the person of Christ and with the worship of Christ and with life as we know it, life as we know it right now, there is a very complex uh, connection and there's a complex overlap of joy and suffering. Joy and suffering. Uh, we just spent time singing worship songs that were full of joy. Jesus picking us up and setting our feet on solid ground and changing our name and giving us a reason to sing. And that is all because of who he is and what he did at Easter. But we also live in the real world where People are hurting and people are suffering still and people are, are in trouble in different ways all the time. And so we have questions. You know, if there's so much joy, then why so much sorrow? And what is God's answer for that? And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But today, um, really, you know, just to be totally transparent, you know, we always have these plans to go through the services. We spend enough time on it to make sure we're ready. But one thing I didn't plan for, which I'm really glad, is that um, there's a family here today that I just want to acknowledge. It's Nathan uh, uh, Vokak's family, and Nathan died tragically in a motorcycle accident just this week. And um, it was just brought to my attention that a lot of the family is, there, is here. And as you can imagine, they're just completely distraught and heartbroken. And so uh, I just want to welcome you to this place. We all want to welcome you. We are so glad that you're here and we're not glad for kind of what prompted this gathering and this meeting with you all today. Our hearts are completely broken, but if you wouldn't mind, I would like to have our church and I would like to just pray for you. You don't need to stand up or anything like that. I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge your presence here and, uh, and just tell you that uh, we love you dearly 
and that our hearts are broken along with you. And that the memorial for Nathan is going to be in this building uh, in the next couple days. And so we are going to do um, uh, a job of, of you know, worshiping Jesus together and uh, mourning uh, the loss of Nathan. And um, I'd just like to take a minute and pray for you guys. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up this family to you for the heartbreak, for the absolute tragedy, for the um, just this totally un, unseen moment just jumping upon them in such a tragic way. I pray, God, that in the name of Jesus that you would do what really only you can do as the comforter, as the Spirit of God to actually move in to their lives in, in a spiritual fashion in their hearts to give them a sense of peace and to give them a sense of ability in the morning to meet them in it. Father, I thank you that you are a, a God who is not this distant, far-off um, idea or being that uh, has no idea what it means to be human, but you became one of us and that you experienced pain and loss and suffering um, in a way that they are right now. And so you, you can sympathize with them, you can empathize with them and what they're going through. I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you would be with them in their mourning, in their loss. And God, we do thank you for Nathan. We thank you for his life. We thank you for how precious he is. And uh, Father, that he was a part of this community and that he was pursuing you and, and to know you. I pray, God, um, that that fruit um, would be uh, evident as we look back on his life to see your hand in his life. And Father, we come to you today with great mysteries and questions about why things like this happen and what's up in the world and why. It, it, why. And Father, I pray today that as I preach this message, God, that you would, you would instill in this family and all of us who are here just some hope and some, some peace, maybe an acknowledgement of, of pain and anger that they're feeling and experiencing through this tragic loss, God, that you would move close to them. I pray that this church would be all that we're supposed to be, the hands, the hugs, the, the warm words, the whatever we need to be to serve them and love them in the midst of their great loss. Father, we, we thank you that we can come to you boldly with tears, with anything we want, anytime we can approach your throne, and we approach your throne with broken hearts today, and uh, we ask for your help. We need your help, God. This family needs your help right now. We ask that you would bless them. Thank you for their presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is a special day in the Christian history, and it was a special day in the history of the Israelite people 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here. It's the beginning of the Passover week, which is a major festival for the Jewish people where people from all over Israel would travel to Jerusalem and be ready to celebrate one of the most famous, if not the most famous moments in the history of Israel. The Passover week was the time where the people would come together and remember the Exodus story. The story of the people of Israel being miraculously delivered out of slavery and brought through the Red Sea into what would eventually become the promised land. And so after that all happened, God actually tells them like, to remember this every single year, to celebrate it every single year. And so they did. It was, a, it was like the hallmark of their faith. They have a God who made a promise to them, a God that would make them into a great nation, that God would use them. 
and then they ended up through a series of wild events in 400 years of slavery, and they thought God had forgot their promise. And then they, they had this man come onto the scene named Moses who helped deliver them out of those 400 years of slavery. And so then, there it was, God kept his promise. God kept his promise. Well, after that, the nation of Israel went through different kinds of slaveries, if you will. They went through exile, where they were taken away from their land. Then they were back in their own land, and essentially they, they didn't have a good relationship with God, so it was almost like God wasn't there. He actually left at a point, and, and it was like they were in exile at home. And so they always felt like they needed God, and they needed to be delivered, and they needed help. Well, then... Um, the Romans came on the scene and they occupied Jerusalem and there they were at home, occupied by these, this Roman world force and they were wanting God to do what he had done again and he did it in the past so maybe he would do it again but they were celebrating this very thing the week that Jesus goes into Jerusalem. They were celebrating the, the literal exodus and Jesus at this time has had a public ministry where he was a rabbi known as a wonderful teacher and he started to do amazing miracles and the people of that region heard about him and there were many people who started to follow him and believe that he was the promised Messiah or the king, the anointed one that would come from Nazareth, from David as the line of David, a great king, and that he would become their deliverer, their king, and that he would potentially be the one to give them that exodus from Roman occupation and domination. And so Jesus was popular. There was a lot of people who loved Jesus. And Jesus had recently, if you know this story, you grew up in church, Jesus had gone to Bethany where his friend Lazarus had died and he raised Lazarus from the dead. This is where Jesus in John 11 it says that Jesus wept. And it says that uh, Jesus spoke these words, kind of the, the words that are like fit this series in and of themselves. He said what? Jesus actually said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's having a conversation with the family members there. And he says, Lazarus will raise from the dead. And they say, oh, we know Lazarus will raise from the dead in the future. And he says, I am the resurrection. And then he goes and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And when that happened, Word spread all around that this Jesus, this rabbi, teacher, um, powerful man, he's doing miracles and he could potentially be the savior of all the Israelite people who were in occupation again. So there they are on the week of the Passover getting ready to celebrate the Passover lamb which was representative of that, that lamb that it's, it was uh, killed and the blood of a lamb was put on the doorpost and the lintel of the people who were in, in slavery and the, the, the death passed over their houses and then they got to be delivered from all these years of slavery. So they commemorate that and they think about Moses and they think about all these wonderful things. They're getting ready to celebrate that and Jesus comes into town. And it says that when he got to this place, to this one particular road, that his disciples and other people that believed in him, they started to get excited. They started to get excited. They got, they got, they got some energy. And they started to actually like run out to the road where he was riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And they started to take off their, their outer garments and lay them on the ground. Like if he was coming down the street, they'd lay them on the ground. And they started to sing 
They literally started to break out in song as Jesus is riding this donkey. And, and I just want you to get the picture, right? This is, this is actually what we celebrate as Palm Sunday because they're laying down their clothes on the ground. And it says that they grab palms. This is the baby palm or something. But you just get the picture, right, that they, they grabbed these kind of visuals to commemorate and celebrate somewhat of a king, and these were, these were the types of things that throughout all of history people would use to wave when kings would come home from battle. They would get palms and they would wave them. They'd wave them like that and say, this is our king. So it was kind of like a visual representation of victory. For Greeks, actually, the palm was the goddess Nike. You know Nike, Ni the goddess Nike? It was her visual of victory. So the goddess Nike had her own swoosh, and it was a palm. And so it was like this picture of, of victory. So literally, you might, you might just say that the Jewish people were the ones that coined the phrase, just do it, because Hosanna means save us. So what they're doing is they're throwing down their, their shirts and clothes on the ground because here comes the king. They're picking up a symbol of victory, and they're singing the words, Hosanna, 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 which means save us. We want a new exodus. Just do it. Just do it, God. Please do what only you can do. And that's this picture. And Jesus goes in and there's cheers. Cheers for Jesus as he's entering into the city. And as cheerful and celebratory as it was, Jesus' heart is in a very different place. He doesn't walk in, uh, or ride in, rather, in a victorious posture. He doesn't ride into the city like a king that is literally going to dominate and take over the Romans. He doesn't have an army behind him. He's riding in on a donkey, which is actually a picture of a prophetic word from the book of Zechariah earlier that says that this king would actually reside or ride on a donkey and he would be a, a person that would bring peace to the people. And he rides in and the cheers actually literally turn to tears. And as Jesus sees the city and all of this singing is happening, you can imagine the moment, right? Have you ever seen someone who's just totally broken down, but you don't get it, like there's so much celebration. Maybe, and you, you go like, well, something's going on with them. These aren't like tears of joy. You see celebration going around, but then the, the person in the middle of it is, is, is weeping. Maybe someone that wins an award sometimes. And of course, there's tears of joy that happen when someone might win a Grammy or something like that. But if you hear, maybe it's they, they lost a loved one or recently, or this is for their mom who's at home. Or, and then you, oh, that's why. Because there's something on their mind. There's something on their heart that is different than what everyone else perceives. And that's what's happening with Jesus. They're shouting, Hosanna, just do it. They're wanting him to deliver them some way like Moses did in some radical fashion to get them out of the clenches of death and Roman tyranny. And Jesus rides up to the city, and these are the words that are spoken. This is Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says this, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept 
over it. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He said, what? The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Think about what I just said. They're wanting him to deliver them from their enemies. Jesus comes up crying and says, you can't even see me. I'm hidden from your eyes. And because you can't see me, you think what's happening now is bad? Your enemies are gonna destroy you. There's a huge disconnect between what Jesus is experiencing, what's going on, and what the people are. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And what you see here is you see that Jesus sees the city. And what he sees is actually the convergence of forces moving to a place of conflict. And there's a couple different ways to think about what's about to happen in this week. Because we know that Jesus then goes into the city. And then he turns some tables over because it messes up with the Pharisees and the leaders of the priests and all that. And he turns the tables over and that's how they make their money. So they get really mad at him because people like want their money. And so he gets, he gets then arrested, right? He has this last supper. He gets, he gets then beaten and, and he gets humiliated and then he gets put on a cross. And then as you and I know, we believe and, and, and many, many saw that he resurrected after that. But that's what's about to happen. What Jesus sees is that picture, not the picture that the rest of the people saw. That, they, don't, they don't see that. And so Jesus kind of, as a part of this whole thing, you might think of it like a storm. Like he's, he knows a storm is brewing. He knows that you got like the forces of Rome and the forces of Israel and now you bring Jesus into the picture and it's gonna create this chaotic moment. You guys remember that movie, The, the Perfect Storm, about the Andrea Gale in 1991 uh, off the coast of New England? Just the brief summary of it is that two major forces from the east and the west were converging. A low pressure system and a cold front were going over the Atlantic simultaneously. Hot air and movement from a hurricane was moving up inside of it and the Andrea Gale went out into the middle of that and was reduced to matchwood. Jesus is looking at what's about to happen more like that, like the perfect storm. Like this is about to get really bad, so his heart breaks. Because you might think of it not just like a storm, you think of it like a fight. Jesus is looking at Rome, and he's looking at Israel, and he knows that the two are about to have this explosive interaction. That they're gonna kind of work together for a moment to see Jesus crucified on the cross, but Jesus actually understands that when you live the way they live, and that you don't embrace God when he's there visibly, that kingdoms like that will fall. Like if you worship your own king, or you worship a king other than Jesus, or you are invested in a kingdom any other than the kingdom that has Jesus as the king, it will come to destruction. 
even Israel. You don't really worship me. You don't really follow me. I'm right here and you don't see me. That means you're going to end in destruction. Rome then eventually, 79 AD, comes in and just destroys. Or 70 AD. They come and just destroy and destroy all of Israel. Literally burning it to the ground, killing hundreds of thousands of people, taking people into slavery, destroying sacred artifacts and the temple and leaving it for nothing. That's what they do. And Jesus is going, I'm here. I'm your king. And you don't see me. And I know that when you don't see me as your king and you don't embrace me as your king, I know what that means. It means that you guys are gonna break down and you're gonna experience more suffering than you are right now. You're gonna experience more pain than you ever have. And the God of creation who became flesh and dwelt among us is riding on a donkey looking at Rome and Israel in this beautiful city and knows that they're about to come to blows and knows that they're going to destroy one another even more and that God sees the fact that there's a disparity between who he is and what they recognize and what does he do? He weeps. We have a a God whose heart breaks when he knows that we're going to destroy and hurt and come to conflict with one another. When we break down, it breaks God's heart. When we break down, it breaks God's heart. You might think that God, maybe you grew up in church and when you don't do what you're supposed to do, you misbehave. You might think that God is angry with you that he's mad. The scriptures actually teach over thousands of years, and when we get that context, that God is slow to anger. Slow to anger. But you know what God is quick to? Sadness. He loves his people. Do you get this? He loves Rome. He doesn't love that they're worshiping Caesar. He loves the people they're created in his image. He's heartbroken that they've worshiped false gods and that Caesar is their God. He's heartbroken that they don't see him as the actual king. That breaks God's heart. He's going, I'm here now and you don't even see me. And Israel, who, who knew that God was gonna come in some fashion, they didn't even see him in that regard. So those tears are not just the human reaction to a sad and frustrating situation, they are the tears of the God of love. I I want you to see Jesus in a new way. Today I want you to see Jesus, a God of love. Just in in the, the story before in a different book, but the same timeline, Jesus wept because Lazarus's family was heartbroken at their loss, and Jesus met them in that, and his heart broke because their heart was broken. He even knew that he was gonna raise Jesus, or raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew it, his heart still broke, why? Because we have a God of love, a God of genuine love. He cares about what you're going through. He doesn't sit there and say to um, Mary and Martha when they're weeping about the death of Lazarus, hey, suck it up, cupcake, I'm gonna raise him from the dead. 
He doesn't say to, to the people chanting and to, and to the people that are gonna fight, he doesn't say to them, like, hey, you guys know that I'm the king and I'm just gonna figure all this out and you don't need to worry. But he, he, he cries because he, he knows the people don't see him. They don't understand what God is really like. They don't understand what God is really about. When you really start to break down the tension that was taking place, it's like you got two brothers, Rome and Israel, or you got two forces, the internal and the external, and they're just coming to blows. And this is really a picture of all of our lives. It really is. The resistance of God, the missing of God, the misunderstanding of God. For Rome, they couldn't have been more confused. They couldn't have been more confused. They believed that power looked like chariots and swords and horses. And they were looking for God just like every other person on the planet has ever looked for God, for divine leadership. Some of us that grew up in church know that when the census went out at the birth of Jesus, it was decreed by a guy named Caesar, if you know it, Augustus. Caesar Augustus, the, the word Augustus means honorable one or majestic one. Caesar Augustus, Octavius, was the, the son of Julius Caesar. And so he had recently, Julius Caesar, been called divine, so his son was deemed the son of God. The people of Rome believed that their king was divine. So they didn't see Jesus. They thought he was divine. They had special interests in Israel. Now we see Israel and, and that place as a place for oil and people continue to fight over the land for the oil. At the time, it was wanted for grain and for corn. And so Rome needed it as a strategic place along their trade routes. So Rome was just there to get money and to have dominance and to, to get what they wanted. You think about a father looking at his son going, all you care about is, is getting what you want. All you care about is, is your gain, what you get, what you can get from life. This was, this was the Roman people. Israel, the other son in the, in the analogy, if you will, is, is they believe they're headed towards redemption. They're looking for salvation. They're going, we want, we want to know God. We want to find him. Their Passover is a celebration of an exodus. They're looking for a new exodus. They, they want to be redeemed. They're looking for a king. But they think that the king is going to show up with swords and armies and that he's going to dominate. Even Jesus' closest disciples, Hosanna and all that had to do with you being the Savior. So they're confused. They didn't understand Jesus. They didn't really get him. So they're asking for a new exodus. They're ask, asking for, for an actual literal one. And what Jesus is actually there to do is deliver both Israel and Rome from the shackles of their heart. And so he sees, you two are gonna destroy one another. You're gonna fight. You're gonna be at conflict. And so he looks upon and he weeps. He goes, I'm right here. And you don't even see me. And if you think about it in terms of a storm, you have Israel, you have Rome, and then you throw Jesus into the middle of it. And it makes that insane third part of the variable where nothing can stay together and it's all about to fall apart. God would keep his promises to save 
even though the nation of Israel was unfaithful. They were unfaithful to him. They worshiped false gods. They didn't believe in the scriptures as they were. They had infighting. They had their own desires. God would save them in a fashion and manner completely different from what the people were looking for. So they couldn't, they couldn't see it. You know, riding a donkey is not just something that Jesus did because it was like the cheap route. In the story, if you read earlier, Jesus sends his disciples into the, into the city to get a donkey. So he strategically rides a donkey. His whole thing is, I wanna go into the city on a donkey. It's believed by some historians that the same exact moment or day that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, that Pontius Pilate, the one that would eventually sentence Jesus to death uh, about a little less than a week later, the kind of prefect and, and leader of, 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 from the Roman representation, that he was riding in on a different route, riding along a horse. And a horse was a representation of war. And Jesus is riding in on a donkey as if to say, I'm coming to be your king, but I'm not coming in in the way you want me to. I'm not coming in in the way that you expected me to. I'm coming to bring peace. So there's Jesus riding in on a donkey. There's Jesus actually teaching all of these parables, the parable of the, the, the servants that he goes on later and teaches just in a, a chapter later, he, he tells the story about how he, he has these landowners and he sends representatives to collect and they get beaten and then he sends another one and they get beaten. Then he sends another one, they get beaten. Then the landowner sends his son to collect money and they murder the son. And he's telling the story of, you don't see me. You, 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 you don't see me. How's this any different? I'm here and you're mistreating me, you're mistreating my son, you're, you're, you're throwing out the prophets, you won't, you won't hear. You won't even get it, you, you know. And it was confusing who Jesus was and what he was gonna do for the people and how it was all gonna work. Very few people understood it. The nation of Israel didn't fully grasp it. And in fact, it's, it's actually like one of the main themes of the Bible is that it's hard to see Jesus as he really is. It's really hard to see Jesus as he really is. They didn't see him. The, the, the story of the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, they didn't see him. You know that one of the Pharisees' jobs as a Pharisee was to know the scriptures so well that when the Messiah would show up that they would be able to point him out? And they were the ones that were partially responsible for having him crucified for blasphemy and for stealing power. They couldn't see him. It's very difficult for us, if we're not careful, to see Jesus. But he's here. He's done something. So he raises from the dead. And even after Jesus raises from the dead, you know there are stories of people seeing him and not recognizing him? And some of that is like him doing his thing where he walks with these two men on the road to Emmaus and he has this whole conversation and then he breaks bread with them and is the moment that he breaks bread, they realize that it's him and then he disappears. You know, in the Old Testament, there's all these stories about who the king would be and how he would show up and what he would do and all this different stuff. And they have all these little pieces and Jesus filled every single one and they couldn't see him. They still didn't understand that he was gonna have to go into the city that he was gonna have to 
be arrested and crucified, that he was going to have to take the burden of sin, that he was gonna have to show up and deal with the biggest problem that we all have, the separation between God and man, the death that lives in the world that we have today. They didn't understand it, so they didn't see him. So here's my, my question for you. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus today? If you're honest with yourself, you probably don't. Because we go on that journey, right? And that's what this week is, it's a journey. It's a journey to the cross. Each day this week, we should be thinking about that movement to the cross to see Jesus as he really is. And what you've got is you've got the same situation as the, as the city did. You have external factors. You know, you have Rome, you have things pushing you and it makes seeing Jesus confusing. You know, what, what, what do you wanna do with life and what's happening? What are the problems that are on you? Sometimes when we have external forces of conflict or pain, it's hard to see Jesus, right? We want God to just come in and do things our way and sort it all out a certain way so we don't see it. What's the external factor in your life? Like, what's the problem that you're going through? What's the conflict that you're in? What, what is it that, that is making you go, I don't really see Jesus in this because if, if Jesus was who I wanted him to be, he would solve this problem for me. That, that's what Israel was like. Solve it our way, you're not gonna solve it our way so we don't see you. So what is it in your life that's not being solved the way you think God should solve it? And how is that making it difficult for you to see Jesus as he really is? Maybe you've gone through tragedy, maybe you've lost a job, maybe something in your life isn't the way you want it to be. And so all you're focused on is that. And you can't see Jesus. What's going on inside of you? What aspirations do you have? Aspirations, your ideas about what life should be, your hopes, your dreams. This was like the nation of Israel. They had, they had this desire, their desire was a new exodus. Their desire was a literal earthly king. And because they were looking for it to be a certain way, they couldn't see it. What desires do you have? Like what, what is inside of you that you think is the thing that will make life great? What will make life great for you? What will make your aspirations come to life? What will make you feel whole? What is it that you need to fill in? It's not that those things don't matter. It's that those things play a heavy role in us not being able to see Jesus. We don't see him. We have something that we want, we don't get it, so Jesus becomes foggy. What is it? Do you see him today? Do you see Jesus? Is he, is he, is he part of your focus today? For the next couple of days, we, we go to the journey uh, that Jesus went through. We go into Jerusalem. We go to the cross. We go to the tomb. We see what he did on the cross. We see Jesus as he really is. And to see Jesus on a cross is to have your mind blown. How does the God of creation end up on that Roman cross? How does that happen? How does it get to this? What's going on on the cross? You need, to, you need to wrestle with that this week. On Good Friday, you need to come. You need to hear the message. John is speaking about the cross. You need to come and hear. Because the reason that we don't worship Jesus 
because we don't see him for what he really is and what he's really doing. Because what he's doing on that cross is truly majestic. It's what a true king does. Everything about Jesus's life on earth was to say, everything you think about power and goodness and life is the opposite. It's when we lead with peace and relationship and love and forgiveness and kindness and we watch all the brokenness in the world get washed away by the benevolence of our hearts and hands. It's a reversal and the cross gives us a picture of that. We don't see Jesus as he really is. We're gonna celebrate the resurrection. A resurrected king. You know, one of the reasons that the people, Israel and Rome had so much conflict is because the Israelite people wouldn't assimilate. They wouldn't become like citizens the way they wanted them to. So you know what they would do? They would just crucify them. The Romans would just crucify hundreds and hundreds of Israelite people. There's stories of Israelite people being lined for miles every 20 feet, crucified along roadways, maybe even the road that Jesus is walking into because they wanted everyone to walk by and see if you don't join us, this is what happens to you. And there's actually stories of people being crucified who would hang on these trees and they would be there for days and when Romans weren't around, sometimes family members or people would go and grab them and they would then not die. They would actually be able to save them. There's very rare circumstances, but it would happen. And there's actually a couple times where this would happen and people would say that like, oh, that person must be like divine. But then eventually they would go on and die. So the story of the resurrection of Jesus is so different because he gets put on a cross, but not even a whole day on the cross. He ends up dying and then they pierce his side and his water spills out and multiple people see him dead. They see him dead. And then one of his disciples comes to him and is like, I love this man, I'm a follower of him, and I have a tomb. And he takes him to an actual tomb. You understand, people in that day weren't put in tombs, typically. They were put in these, like, things in the ground and buried and baskets almost, laid on top of one another. Jesus being in a tomb was like a special situation. They knew he was dead. They put him in a tomb. They put a big stone in front of the tomb, and three days later... The stone was rolled away, and Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't there. My friends, it's the greatest story ever told. He was dead, and he rose from the dead. He did. The the tomb was empty, and the scriptures say there were angelic beings there. The scriptures actually say that the first people that noticed that he wasn't there were women. And in the time period, women being actual witnesses as a valid source was unheard of. If someone was trying to make up the story, they would have wrote in that Peter and John saw him first. But they didn't. They just told the story as it was. Mary, they just showed up with herbs and spices to, to Make sure the dead body didn't smell as bad. They didn't have time to embalm him correctly. That's the story, the real story. Do you see Jesus as he really is? A crucified savior, one who's a king who turns what kingship and leadership and love 
is upside down on its head to display, you want to be one of me, serve like me. I'm here on a cross weeping because you need me to transform your hearts from the inside out. I'll take your pain, I'll take your punishment right to the cross. I'll raise from the dead and offer you new creation in your life so that from the inside out, the resurrected king can resurrect you. That's the story. Do you see him? Do you see him? Would you be honest with yourself and say, I, I don't, I don't get it, I don't see him. Could it be that Jesus, when he rides up to the city, that he's not just weeping over Rome and Israel and their conflict, that he's, he's weeping for, for you, for me. You didn't see me. Maybe this week, just maybe this week, we could get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Maybe that's what Good Friday is about. You know, it's the optometrist, left or right. Let's get a bunch more. That's better, that's better, that's better, that's better, that's better. Let's get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Why celebrate the cross? Because there's something in it worth celebrating. Come together on Easter to sing and shout about a God who, Hosanna, he saved in a way you didn't know but it was better than you could have hoped and dreamed. And the promises of God have yet to be fulfilled. And when they are, our hopes will be realized. Let's see Jesus together more clearly this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much for, for kind of blowing our minds. God, if, if you did everything the way we wanted you to do it, if you were who we thought you should be, you wouldn't be God. But as we survey your cross, your, your empty tomb, as we recognize you, God, we, we're drawn, we're drawn in. Our hearts that are hard, they get softened. The broken hearts that we have, that you mend them. God, the picture of you and you alone is enough to transform a soul. I pray that everybody in here and everybody watching online would have a, have a special, unique, holy week where we see you in a different way. We love you, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Don't miss Friday night, let's see Jesus together. If you haven't decided to come to church yet, come to the 1 p.m. We do need to make room uh, in the other services, so just, just come to the 1 p.m. It's, it's worth it. I have a really good friend who, uh, his kids, he has like a bunch of kids and they don't wanna come to church. They don't wanna come to church. So every Sunday morning, they say, Dad, do we have to go to church? And every single time he answers, uh, did Jesus die on the cross for you? And he, they go, yes. He goes, then we're going to church. You need to come to church. You need to come. I mean, it's just like, it's like a parent forcing you to do what you should want. Like, this is what life is all about. Don't let anything get in the way of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Don't let it happen. And if that means you gotta go at one, cry me a river. I don't know. Just, just come at one if you can't come at another time. Please be here. We love you guys. We'll see you then.